This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. One of the highlights of my work here on the podcast is talking about AI-related topics that are relevant for all executives, regardless of what industry that they're in, things that are going to tie to ROI, tie to successful AI adoption, no matter your sector, and also be able to speak with people whose opinions carry weight and mean something no matter what industry you're in. Today, I get to check both of those boxes in an interview that, for me, was a lot of fun, and I think for you, our listener, is going to be awfully insightful. Our focus this time around is around AI governance and how artificial intelligence governance fits with AI ethics and AI strategy. Our guest is none other than the Global Chief AI Officer at IBM, one of the biggest names in artificial intelligence, and this is the highest-ranking AI person at that firm. Dr. Seth Dobrin is our guest. He's been on the show in the past. And in this episode, he speaks about AI governance, not from some tropey way of how everybody needs to make AI good, but how do we turn AI governance into something that enables innovation? Instead of turning into red tape, it can turn into faster products that drive better results for the business and also treat our customers in a better way. What's the right way to structure and think about governance so that it enables speed and it enables quality products? He's got a lot of great insights on this particular topic and theme, and there's a ton that we sink our teeth into in this episode. This episode is brought to you by IBM. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's audience, you can go to emerj.com slash ad1 and learn more about our Emerge media services here. But without further ado, let's fly into this episode. I'll speak a little bit more about media in the outro, but as of now, I really want to dive directly into this episode. I think you'll get a lot out of this. Seth speaks from a remarkable position of experience at IBM, and we should fly right into it. So here we go. So Seth, I am very glad to have you with us here on the program, and today we're talking about the topic of AI governance, something that I I feel like is a buzzword in certain areas of the enterprise. Not every business leader is really familiar with what the term means. When you explain AI governance, Seth, to a business crowd, how do you like to frame it? How do you like to explain its relevance and what it means? Yeah, so I think, thanks for having me, Dan. First and foremost, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and, and your audience when you think about AI governance, when it's done right, and, and I talk about it just the way, same way I talk about data governance, because it's true. Data governance, and anytime you talk about governance, people look at it as, oh, someone's going to put a roadblock up. But I think it's really important to keep in mind that when done right, it actually turns from being a roadblock into being an enabler. And it's an, an, a way for you to accelerate your transformation. And, and AI governance really empowers you to operate with agility and transparency and trust as you're trying to implement AI in your organization, rather than actually slowing it down or, or getting in your way. And I'm not gonna talk about why you need to do AI governance. I think it's everyone is pretty well aware of that. But when we think about what AI governance is, it really enables you to define policies and establish accountability for when, how and when and why you implement AI and how it needs to integrate and connect into your other corporate governance policies. So it's a way to give people visibility to know the guardrails, if you will, of what they should and shouldn't do and can and can't do. And, you know, really empowers you to move quicker because you have that, that love, that transparency and that clarity. Got it. So it's a, you know, a subset of the general governance policies of a company that is kind of a bounding box or, you know, a bowling lane. You mentioned kind of the those side rails there. 
for what we can do with AI so that we know, you know, we're not breaking any rules, we're not breaking any policies, anything we do within this boundary is is something we can move full steam ahead with. Exactly. Cool. Now, of course, I think the concept of governance couched that way under the the broader governance of, of an enterprise should make some intuitive sense for folks. And I think the idea of this being an enabler, if we get it right, I think if we get it right, that should in fact be the case. But it does also come down to what's involved. You know, AI governance is a little bit different than I don't know, maybe some of the other various and sundry elements of corporate governance from environmental and pollution related things to, you know, hiring practices or whatever the case may be. What goes into AI governance? If I'm a leader, I'm thinking about the components I'm going to have to kind of uh, put together here. How do you break that down? Yeah, that's a really, really good and important question. And I think as we've moved, either have moved or want to move, depending on where you are on the journey, AI from being, you know, experiments or proof of concepts into powering critical parts of your enterprise, like HR, as you mentioned, we need to think about what is the general purpose technology that you can use in order to assess in context, the the privacy, the robustness, the fairness, explainability, and have the level of transparency that you need for say an HR system. And at the same time, it's also important that, you know, you don't think about I have to replace everything that I have. How do I provide tools and technologies around what I already have to provide this, the the governance that I need? When you're looking at implementing an AI governance, you need to make sure that you have the organizational structure to provide the leadership that you need around a governance program. And you have to make sure that you have AI lifecycle in mind and that AI lifecycle needs to be governed throughout. So what do I mean by AI lifecycle? If you think about what most software development organizations do, they use something called called DevOps. And that's the software, what manages the software development lifecycle, everything from you know, initial development to deployment to you know, requirements and then ongoing maintenance. You need the same kind of concepts for AI, which, which is actually relatively new as we're starting to scale and operationalize AI, it's talked about as you probably maybe heard about something called ML ops. Yep. yep. Uh, and when people talk about ML ops, they're also talking about, they're really talking about AI governance to a certain extent or part of AI governance. And so there's a couple components to that. So one is what is the ethical framework that is going to be my overall arching governance? So those guardrails that we just talked about. So, you know, do I have principles and policies that I put in place as a company? that I'm going to adhere to. So that's step one. Step two is, do I have the technologies in place that enable me to build the AI governance framework or the ML ops pipeline, if you will, that allows my data science teams to document what requirements are for the AI. Uh, so requirements, you know, documentation, just like you would for software development that you have the opportunity to document and AI is a little bit different because you need to also document lineage and provenance of data and the models. And so by lineage, I mean, where did the data come from? What was done from it? By provenance, I mean, you know, how was that data manipulated? How is it integrated to models? What are the different versions of the models? And then how do we maintain those models over time and maintaining AI models over time The whole point of AI and machine learning is that they learn, they continuously learn on the data. And by definition, as you're implementing AI, if you're doing it right, you're gonna be changing the data. 
and you'll then therefore be changing the results of the model. And so you need to constantly monitor those models for performance or robustness that they're still performing as you expect. But you also need to constantly monitor them to make sure that they are fair and free of certain types of biases. So, you know, for instance, if I'm, you know, back to the HR example, if I'm hiring people and I build a model, I initially want to make sure that I'm not biasing against certain demographics. Typically, we think about, you know, we don't want age discrimination. We don't want gender discrimination. We don't want racial or ethnic sure, discrimination. Sure. Yep or religious discrimination? How do I on an ongoing basis make sure I'm not introducing new biases into that process as my data is changing over time? So let me, if it, if it works for you here, Seth, I'd love to recap a little bit of what you said, make sure we're talking about all the right pieces on the board, and then we can kind of zoom in on them individually. Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So you brought up first kind of generally having kind of the, you know, the corporate structures in place for governance at a high level. And then below that, we have kind of these three elements, and, and I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. One of them is, you know, what is the ethical framework that we're adhering to, the, the principles, the policies, as you said. Uh, the second is, you know, do we have the technology and processes in place to define requirements for AI and make those known and, and, and make those part of our criteria that everybody can see and everybody knows we're, we're being accountable for? And then the third is, are we able to monitor and manage this over time for both performance and for different kinds of bias or, or things that we might be looking out for. Is this is this sort of the essentials here? We need we need that general corporate governance structure, which that might be a podcast unto itself. If you want to go into detail on that, that's fine. And then and then those three those three subtopics. Did I miss anything there? I think the only one that's missing that I kind of glanced on but didn't talk about directly is is you need an open you need an ecosystem, right? The, these don't play in a vacuum. So so I think you need an ecosystem that is open. Yeah. Well, how do you define that? So, you know, when you think about, uh, so let me, I'll talk about a, a, an example that, you know, my team worked with. So we worked with one of the largest U.S. banks and, and they literally have every AI and data science tool known to humankind. And they needed to implement an AI governance framework. And we helped them with, you know, kind of the corporate governance, all those other things I talked about. But one thing where they got hung up trying to do this before was they felt they needed to replace all the tooling that they had. And really, they didn't. They needed, a, they needed to think about how do I build my governance framework without requiring people to really change the, the execution mode that they're doing it, not the governance around it. And then how do they do this that's participating in as much of an open source ecosystem as possible? And then... I think it's really important for us as enterprises, especially for those of us that are leading in this space, to be very public about as much of this as we can while still maintaining our fiduciary responsibility to our, to our company. So for instance, we open source almost all of the processes that we do. So through the World Economic Forum or through the Responsible AI Institute or through Equal AI, we open source all of our processes, all of our methodologies, and we make money on the execution. And even similar with the tools that we develop, we open source the vast majority of our tools that we build uh, so that anyone can build ethical, trustworthy AI because it's that important for us as a community. And I really encourage all companies to think about how do I participate in the open source ecosystem and make sure that we're doing the right things in other companies can do the right things based on the models that we've built because we're only going to make each other better 
And the less of the fewer of us that get in trouble, the better it is for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's no holds barred here. There's a lot of power to be the ones who kind of define some of what the how are we going to define the good? Some serious advantages to being the definer of the good in, in all frankness. But yeah, you know, certainly an argument for, again, participating in that open ecosystem. So when you say, hey, all these elements, Dan, they need to exist in an open ecosystem. What you mean is, we need our business leadership and our technology leadership to be drawing from existing precedents and frameworks and potentially even be contributing to those frameworks as opposed to reinventing the wheel. Is this kind of what you mean or can you redefine you know, it? I, I, yeah, yeah, it is. But I think I think it's more important to be contributing back because okay. my whole point for saying that is not so, you know, yes, I want IBM to drive the voice on this, but more importantly, I want to make sure there's a conversation about it. If it's just unilateral, it's not a conversation. And we're not really going to learn and grow as an AI community yeah, and as yeah. a business community. The more important part is the contributing your voice back. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, you know, being able to, to draw from best practices, but also be a part of, you know, the ongoing kind of AI ethics world in some way. It does feel as though, you know, as you're well aware, Seth, ML ops is not exactly a solved science uh, through and through. And certainly what MLOps looks like in the inside of Airbnb versus the inside of LinkedIn versus the inside of Citibank will be pretty different. And there's a lot to be explored there. It sounds like potentially the benefits of an open ecosystem is, you know, we don't have to start from total scratch. And maybe some of our good work could be used by somebody else who's trying to get a leg up on optimizing both performance and governance and trustworthiness at the same time. Yeah. And actually, you picked on three really good examples because they're all very very good participants in the open ecosystem in not just this space, but almost every space. Yeah, as, as much as Silicon Valley, not all of it, but certainly certainly some of the bigger players fortunately are. So cool. So this this makes a bit of sense here. And, and you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what it looks like to set up kind of this ethical framework and where this stuff is relevant. As I mentioned to you off mic, I think one of the things that for me is really disheartening, I've been interested in AI ethics for, geez, I don't know, we had Nick Bostrom on the show like seven years ago. I'm definitely interested in the big game, the long game of AI ethics. Not too many business people are. I, I happen to be and pretty unabashed about that. But from Wendell Wallach to Nayef Al-Rodan to Bostrom, et cetera, we've, we've talked about some elements of, of ethics. Obviously, a lot of the more near-term ethics conversations today, I think some of them are really productive, talking about where AI might be able to you know, better enforce trustworthy principles and kind of reduce bias in some ways, et cetera. I think a lot of this world, a lot of the spend in this space is kind of PR spend, as far as I can tell, where, ah, jeepers, you know, we don't want to have a, a PR gaffe where, you know, we interpret some sentence with an accent as being something bad. And then, you know, all of a sudden we get sunk in here. And I think with the effect that I've seen, you know, speaking at these kind of conferences and interviewing oodles of folks in this space is that there's, there's a good deal of tension around kind of AI in general, man, we, we got to get a team of lawyers and a team of data scientists to look at literally every innocuous borderline meaningless AI application we do from, you know, searching for invoice documents to, uh, you know, identifying cars in our security, you know, security cameras for the parking lot. We got to make sure a thousand ways that these things aren't, you know, in some way biasing against a race or gender when it feels like that there is a little bit of a too far there. And there's a right amount for sure. But there's also we see a tremendous amount of of this really just turning into a, a PR defense game, which I feel like is net uh, unproductive. When you think about where this kind of governance is maybe more warranted in some areas than others. 
it is possible that you would advocate everybody walk on eggshells all the time, but my guess is you probably don't. You would probably tell them to pay more attention to this in some areas than others. Where do you tell folks maybe to start or get more serious about governance? Because I think some people are, frankly, Seth, they're nervous as hell and they're they're spending purely for PR defense. It's not so much to move yeah. AI forward. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's a really good question, Dan. And, and I think that gets back to my initial comment about kind of the overarching kind of AI ethics framework, right? So we have an AI ethics board and we were one of the first companies to set that up and yes, we're happy indeed. to just share publicly what we do and how we do it. But we, and I'm part of the AI ethics board. One of the, the most important things that this AI ethics board does, and this is very relevant to the conversation, by the way, is we kind of establish where we're going to play and where we're not as a company. So, you know, we were pretty public that we're not going to play in the realm of facial recognition. And so, that is just out of bounds. So we no longer participate in facial recognition. And so that makes that conversation easy. I really encourage companies to think about where are areas that they're just not willing to play in, right? And you can change your mind later, but you should be for a good reason, but where are things that are out of bounds? And then once once we get into, you know, once once you get that out of the way, you know, if you look at some of the regulations that are coming out and, and what we and others have advocated for, you need to focus on specific topics. So, you know, you don't want bias. Well, what does that mean? What does bias mean? Bias means different things depending on the use case, right? Depending on the example. Uh, so if I am determining what sweaters I want in a certain store, I want to know that I have more men shopping at that store than women, right? So I, I want to allow gender, you know, quote unquote bias in that case, if you will. But if I'm processing, you know, credit card applications, I don't want that bias in there. And so when you think about or you hear someone talk about precision regulation, that would be regulation that says in the case of lending decisions, these are the specific types of bias that you need to control for. And I think as companies, as long as we're controlling for things that we think are important and societal, you know, from a societal perspective are important, we're in very defensible positions where, you know, yes, you know, there may be some misstep around one thing, but, you know, here's our process. Here's what we've done. Yeah. You know, yeah, here's yeah, what yeah. we're going to do to yep. correct this. And, and so I think it's, it, we need to think about how do we put ourselves in defensible positions as opposed to how do we defend ourselves against everything? Because that's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in all frankness, I mean, you know, we look at AI adoption and compliance regulatory sort of reasonings are often really big unlocks for cutting really big checks with AI vendors because, by golly, we don't want to get hurt. And I think in the ethics space, the getting yourself in a defensible position is, you know, for better or worse, going to be uh, the unlocker of a lot of, of this stuff. So I foresee a lot of the big vendors uh, beating this drum continuously there. But there's certainly fruit to bear from from doing this properly. And again, we've had the IEEE ethically aligned design on the program. We've talked about AI ethics with innumerable guests. I think it's a very valuable topic. Kind of a, a last note to maybe think about here, Seth, Playing off of what you just mentioned, which is, I think is a great point and a great direction, you know, some folks are tuned in. They would like to be in a defensible position. They would like to have a, a nice straight bowling alley here to to really unlock AI and turn this into an enabler, you know, do some good for their company, do some good for their customers, play within the, the bounding box of their values and have free reign to, to add some value at this tech. For leaders that are getting started with governance, are there places where you direct them first or maybe exercises you advocate they go through, think through, walk through first, because I know some of our leaders are going to fit into that category? So, you know, I, I think 
the best way to start in AI ML and, and governance is, is to just is to do it and to do it around a specific use case or set of use case. And by use case, I mean, you know, what outcome am I trying to drive for the business? Because that enables you to go beyond theory and really talk about what does it look like to execute this in this example and then the next example, and then the next example. And so I would say, start with something of value, understand the model, the data, how someone's gonna be using that model, why they're gonna be using it, who's gonna be impacted by it. And then that really provides some visibility for you into what governance looks like for that type of model. So, so if I'm looking at, you know, if I'm building a hiring model and I understand what type of AI governance and what the risks are around it, it's no different than the type of model that I would use to manage any person, whether they're a prospective employee or an employee or an interaction with a customer. So it really gives you some real world examples because, you know, how IBM approaches it, it's going to be very different than another company because sure, we have sure. different customers, we have different you know, levels of risk we're willing to take. And so it's really hard for me to tell someone yep. how to do it. It's more of help them figure out how to do it. Got it. So yeah, begin begin where you are. And and frankly, Seth, I would advocate precisely zero companies begin their AI journey with some HR hiring screening tool. Uh, like, and, and I'm sure maybe, you know, you certainly didn't advocate yeah. that be their first step. I think a lot of early AI steps are going to be the kinds of things that are so innocuous and have so no risk of being an ist that it's kind of ridiculous, like harmonizing our database for fraud information. You know, it's like probably we may have more to concern, be concerned with one application than the other. But I think what you're saying here is, hey, if you want to know what governance is, take a look at your initiatives. Think seriously about governance on the ground level for those initiatives and go through that thought process and see how it integrates with your broader governance. That's the only way to learn. It sounds like that's a big take home lesson for people today. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is, if, I think if someone want, if I wanted someone to take anything away from this conversation, it would be, it would be that the best way to learn is to do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, again, you know, for, for vendors to lean in the direction of just do it is never a surprise. But I think when it comes to learning the lessons of governance, the fact that you're advocating, you know, don't do it like a scholar in an ivory uh, tower, do it, do it in your own business. I think that's the best possible advice. I really hope a lot of our listeners take that to heart. And Seth, I know that's all we have for time on this topic, but thanks so much for being able to join us on the show and sharing some of your insights today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dan. I had a great, a great time and thanks for the good conversation. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Dr. Seth Dobrin, Global Chief AI Officer at IBM, for being able to join us on this podcast. I love speaking to people with remarkable high-level experience. Seth is a good example of exactly that. And I want to say a thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned this is sponsored by IBM. Uh, If you are interested in reaching Emerge's global executive audience, our podcast here this year will cross 4 million lifetime downloads, executive listeners all over North America and Western Europe, in addition to our rather substantial newsletter and sponsored content offerings on Emerge.com, where we have hundreds of thousands of additional readers. 
If you're a B2B AI-oriented firm who needs to reach a high-level executive audience, we don't work with everyone, but depending on what sectors you're looking to target, depending on what kind of credibility and talent you have in-house, there might be a fit. And you can learn more at emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise and then the number one. You can download our full media kit with all of our sponsored content options and learn more about the ways that through co-branded research, through sponsored podcasts, through direct email and demand generation efforts, we help companies win market share and tell a compelling story for AI ROI in their particular sector for their particular product set. So again, that's emerj.com slash ad1. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Had a blast on this one. I really hope you learned a lot and I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.